And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. This is Warren Landis. I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I want to say hello especially to our listeners on Spotify and Anchor FM and all the other platforms that we utilize here on Sunshine USA. It's great to have you tuned in. Well, uh, today we're going to be getting into, uh, let's see, we're going to be getting into uh, Zechariah chapter number 10, the Zechariah chapter number 10, and I'm pulling it up now on my smartphone. <laughs> I think sometimes my smartphone is uh, smarter than I am. That's why they call it a smartphone. Of course, my phone wouldn't have to be very smart to be smarter than I am. Amen. <laughs> Uh, but today we're going to be in Zechariah chapter 10. And uh, unlike yesterday where we covered two chapters, I think we're going to focus on just one chapter, chapter 10, on uh, today's podcast. And in verse number one, we find that Judah and Israel are told to ask God for the blessing of his spiritual reign coming in the time of the latter rain, which is springtime. Now, on the program today, I once again will be using uh, rather extensively the Bible Panorama Commentary, which is a commentary I use rather frequently here on the program. But anyway, we find here in verse 1 that Israel and Judah are to seek the spiritual blessing that comes from spiritual rain, that it will fall upon them. And uh, this rain brings mercy and grace, and it causes uh, Israel and Judah to flourish spiritually. (laughs) Now, this is, of course, a reference, uh, at least in part, to end-time Bible prophecy, Um, because Israel today is not flourishing to the extent that Israel will flourish in the latter days, even though even today we could see many signs of God's blessing upon Israel. Uh, As far back as the 1970s, for example, uh, if you went to the Holy Land, I'm told that you saw a lot of barren wilderness But a lot of that has been replaced by greenery and crops. And and a lot of this has been brought about due to irrigation methods that have been used in Israel for some time now. But it also is part of the blessing of God. And even today we find that uh, the Jewish people are returning to Israel from all over the globe. And this is one reason, as I pointed out yesterday, that uh, we find so much uh, uh, in the way of settlements on the West Bank and other parts of Israel because so many Jews are coming to Israel from all over the globe. But, you know, we need, even in our day, we need this uh, time of spiritual rain, this... uh, time of spiritual refreshing. 
Um, one of the things that I, along with other Christians, are praying for today is a true heaven-sent spiritual revival or awakening. Uh, we haven't seen that in a while. And it seems that we don't see people getting saved in record numbers the way they did at one time. But we need to pray that God will send revival. Now, of course, I think there's things that we need to do as a church. There are things that we need to do as the body of Christ in order to see revival truly take place in America. Uh, one thing, I think we've got to start having church more often. It is a sad commentary that in so many churches across America today, the only service for the whole week is on Sunday morning. Uh, I don't mind saying publicly on internet radio, I think that's just wrong. One service a week is not going to get you through the week. I mean, when you consider how many hours you spend on the job every week, when you consider how many hours you spend in school every week or shopping at the store or recreating, uh, you need a lot more than just one church service to get through. Anybody that says one church service a week is not enough, I, I don't mind telling you they're just flat wrong. <laughs> it's not enough. Amen. So we need to pray for revival. And, and you know, um, what we're facing today comes about even at a time when we have more means of communicating the gospel than ever before. Uh, when I got saved back in 1969, let me tell you something, folks. We didn't have the Internet. But today we've got the Internet. We've got all kinds of Bible commentaries online, one of them being Bible Panorama that I use, as I say, rather frequently on this program. We have all kinds of versions of the Bible available online. We have audio Bibles online. There's uh, Bible maps and Bible commentaries online. Uh, we're just blessed when it comes to different means of communicating the gospel. And I'm afraid that as a church, we're not using it fully enough. Now, one of the things that I hope will continue even beyond the pandemic, I hope that churches will continue broadcasting the gospel on the Internet through uh, live streaming services. Now, I know some pastors are a little bit up in the air about that. They say, well, you know, if we put the services online, people will watch online instead of coming in person. But we also have to take into account the fact there's a lot of people who, because of health reasons and physical limitations, they can't come to church in person. And so we need to make our church services available online. That's something we definitely need to do. Amen. And then in verses 2 and 3, 
we find that God is very disappointed in the shepherds. God seems to take the position that one of the reasons why Israel and Judah have so greatly turned away from God is because of poor leadership coming from the shepherds. The shepherds, uh, in many ways, were just as sinful and just as wicked as the people they were supposed to be leading. And at least in this chapter, we could point out that the shepherds refer to the religious leaders of Judah and Israel. They were misleading the people. And of course, we know that that's still true today. As I indicated a while ago, I mean... There's never been a time when we've had more opportunity to present the gospel through the internet, through radio and television. And I thank God for all these means of communication that we have. And yet, because of that, we also have a lot of false gospel being preached in America today. We have preachers saying things in the pulpit and saying things on radio and TV that just aren't true, you know. Uh, one of the evil doctrines being taught today in a number of pulpits and especially on radio, TV, and the internet is the so-called prosperity gospel. We have a lot of people in America today that believe that if you're right with God, God's going to make you rich. Now, I do believe that God is going to meet your needs. Whatever needs you have, I believe you can trust God for the meeting of your needs, I think that is true. But I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God promises to make you a millionaire or a billionaire if, if you serve him. He will give you what you need. And most of us, if we're honest, we would have to admit God has not only given us what we need, he's given us far beyond what we need. Most of us would have to admit that if we were truly honest. I mean, I, I look in my apartment. I've got some really nice things in my apartment. And I thank God for it. Do I deserve it? No. <laughs> but God gives it to me anyway. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. But has God made me a millionaire? Absolutely not. I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> Far from it. But I can testify publicly here on internet radio that God has always met my need. <laughs> Amen. So, one of the things that pastors need to do today is to get back to the teaching of Bible doctrine. There's a very sinful lack of Bible doctrine being taught in pulpits today. Now, a lot of this is because, you know, pastors want to be popular. They want a so-called positive message. <laughs> I heard uh, just the other day about uh, this preacher. He came to town, and he was scheduled to do a week-long revival at this one particular church. And the pastor met with the evangelist at the airport, and he said, now, 
Let me tell you, he says, uh, in the week ahead, as you preach this revival, we don't want you talking about sin. I don't want you talking about uh, Bible doctrine in depth. I don't want you talking about the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and the evangelist, uh, he looked up at the pastor and he says, well, I guess I better turn around and get back on the plane and go home. And the pastor looked at the evangelist and he said, what would I tell the people? And he said, well, uh, you can tell the people what you just told me. <laughs> that you don't want the blood of Jesus talked about in the pulpit. You don't want sin talked about in the pulpit. You don't want Bible doctrine being talked about in the pulpit. He said, hey, I might as well go home. And that's why we have so many Christians today who have no idea what they believe. And they have no idea what they believe because they're not being given this information in the pulpit. And even if they know what they believe, they don't know why they believe what they believe. You know, the Bible tells us that we ought to be able to give an answer for what we believe. Now, this is sometimes uh, referred to as apologetics, Christian apologetics. But knowing why we believe what we believe. People aren't really being given this information in the pulpit. Now, I know that we've got some great pastors in America. I don't mean to imply that no pastor is doing their job because a lot of great pastors are. But we also have a number who are not. And the Lord is not very happy about this. He wasn't happy about it then, and he's not happy about it now. Now, in verses 3 through 8, in the absence of guiding shepherds, God will strengthen his sheep that they will become a mighty force against their enemies. It will be as if they were never cast off, and they will prevail because of God's redemption and ownership of them. Now, that's an important thing for all of us to remember as Christians. You and I are under God's ownership. God owns me. And to the best of my knowledge, I want God to control me. I want God to be the boss of my life. Now, does that mean I'm perfect? No, far from it. But I know that's what I want to be. I want God to be the boss, the dictator of my life. I want him to call the shots in my life. And you know, we live in a day where even in the absence of really good preachers, People can, to a greater degree than ever before, feed themselves. Like I say, there's some great material out there on the Internet. Even if the only church you can get to is a church that doesn't fully teach Bible doctrine, you can get it on the Internet if you know where to look. Amen. Uh, I think about one of the reasons why I started this Sunshine USA Bible Study Ministry back in 2012, because I was just shocked 
and appalled how little the average Christian knew about their Bible. But we as Christians, according to the Bible, according to Zechariah, are going to ultimately prevail because of God's redemption and God's ownership over us. And then we come to verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12. Just as God's people will be scattered like seed among the nations, today will come when God will save them and bring them back. At that time, their enemies will fail, and God will strengthen them in him and in their walk with him. Now, these are clearly prophetic verses because uh, we know that Israel today is not the godly nation that God intends for Israel to be. But as I study Bible prophecy, I begin to realize that the day is coming when Israel as a nation will turn to the Lord. And the Lord will save them. Once again, Israel will see Christ as the promised Messiah. Amen. And as they view Christ as the promised Messiah, they will worship him. And at that point, Israel will have all of the land promised to them in the Abrahamic covenant that we find all the way back in Genesis. Now, you know, when we were in Genesis, <laughs> I think several years ago, when we started this chapter-by-chapter chapter study of the Word of God, uh, the thing about it is, back in Genesis, we find that an awful lot of territory was promised to Israel. Territory that Israel has never fully occupied. Now, a lot of this, of course, is because of Israel's own sinful disobedience. But one of these days when they experience national salvation and Israel as a nation once again sees Christ as the promised Messiah, then Israel will possess all of the land given to them in the Abrahamic covenant. And God, through the nation of Israel, will rule and reign upon the earth. And then Israel will be and in fact, all of us as believers, Jew and Gentile alike, will be in a true theocracy. Now, a theocracy is different from a democracy. Now, here in the United States today, for example, we have what is called a democracy, which is um, basically self-government. We have self-government. We have... Um, a situation where we get to elect our leaders and they make decisions that affect us all. That's a democracy. But a theocracy is different. You see, a theocracy is ruled by God. It's a situation where God has the final say-so. It's a situation where Jesus becomes the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And you see, with God, he doesn't have to go through any parliament or congress or any kind of council. God issues a decree and it becomes the law of the land, subject to no one. And that, of course, brings us to the end of Zechariah chapter 10. We'll pick up with Zechariah chapter 11, verse 1 in the very next uh, program. Now, one of the things that I want to do today is I want to uh, take some time to uh, answer some of our listener questions. Um, we don't get gobs and gobs of questions, but we do get a few. Uh, one question here deals with the so-called synoptic problem. You know, when you study the Gospels, um, you find that sometimes you've got two or three Gospels describing the same event, but in different ways. And some people see this as uh, contradictions. But when the Bible is properly understood, there's no contradictions. We have to understand that what appears to be contradictions in the gospel are really the fact that these gospel writers saw the same events from a different angle. For example, let's say that you're the eyewitness of an, a traffic accident. And the traffic accident occurs at an intersection. And you get out your cell phone camera and you take a picture of that accident. What you see is maybe a different thing than what somebody else will see on the other side of the intersection because they're looking at the same accident from a different perspective. And that's the way it was with the New Testament writers. Sometimes they saw the same event, but from a different angle. So there's no real inconsistency there at all. Not at all. Here we have another question. Wanting to know what I think about the so-called gap theory. Now, the gap theory, once again, takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. And some people feel that in the book of Genesis, we have what appears to be two different creation accounts. I only see one account there. We have uh, Genesis chapter 1, for example, that gives us an overview of creation. And then we get into some of the specifics of creation in Genesis chapter 2, which of course includes the creation of man. That's in Genesis chapter 2. But I only see one account of creation here. And uh, some people say that... Uh, when the Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, how could that be if they hadn't been created yet? But I don't see any gap theory here. I, I, what I see here is just, you know, a full and complete account of the creation story. 
One chapter giving us the overview, the other one zero inning on Pacifics. Now, when you get over into the Gospel of John, for example, we find that Christ was present in the beginning at the creation. And that Christ was at work in the creation. So in reality, when we celebrate Christmas in December, <laughs> and we celebrate the birthday of Jesus, what we're really celebrating is Jesus coming into this world in a human body, but it was not the beginning of Jesus' existence. The Bible tells us Jesus has always been, and he will always be. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus had no beginning. Jesus had no ending. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So that's a question there. Here's another question I get a lot. Who wrote Hebrews? Now, once again, I guess I could go into an elaborate lecture on who wrote Hebrews. And I, I will say just right off the bat, I believe personally Paul wrote Hebrews. And I think you will find that's always been my position. There's never been a time when I as a Christian thought that anybody other than Paul wrote Hebrews. But I do recognize the fact that there is a difference of opinion among Bible scholars. There are some Bible scholars out there uh, who do not believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. They believe that um, someone other than Paul wrote Hebrews. They feel like it might have been maybe a student of Paul that wrote Hebrews, or an associate of Paul that wrote Hebrews. All kinds of different theories out there. But when you get to the end of Hebrews, when you look at the last part of the last chapter of Hebrews, you'll notice that Hebrews ends like any of the other letters that Paul wrote. And to me, that's a very strong indication right there that Paul wrote Hebrews. And the people that are acknowledged at the end of the last chapter of Revelation, I mean at the last chapter of Hebrews, are people that Paul was very familiar with. Once again, I think this makes a very compelling case for the fact that Paul wrote Hebrews. And, and then, of course, you've got the, the, the academic side of all this. You've got the, the fact that from an academic standpoint, and considering the heavy doctrine that we find presented in the book of Hebrews, it's very hard to conclude that anybody other than Paul was qualified to write such a theological masterpiece as Hebrews is. So I remain personally very convinced that Paul wrote Hebrews. I, I think the evidence that he wrote Hebrews is far greater than any evidence that he didn't. And that's just uh, my own personal opinion. Now, here we have somebody that takes issue with me about my position on reading the Bible through in a year. Now, I've said many times on this uh, broadcast that I'm not exactly a fan. I'm not exactly a fan of reading the Bible through in a year. I mean, to be honest with you, if you read the Bible through in a year, here's, here's what's got to happen. You've got to read five 
to seven chapters a day in the Word of God. We have some Christians today that due to their work schedules, they just don't have time to carefully read and study all that material. And then two, if you actually read five to seven chapters of the Bible every day, you've read so much material, it's hard to really stop and think about what is this saying to me? How does this apply to me today? You see, very important thing there. Uh, so I would rather take longer than a year to go through the Bible and really take a look at its meaning than just simply say, well, I read the Bible through this year, but I really don't know what I read. <laughs> I mean, I'll just be perfectly honest with you about that. <laughs> Amen. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to part friendship just because we disagree on that. If you want to read the Bible through in a year, help yourself. I just hope that you'll also take the time to carefully consider what you're reading as you're reading it and how does that apply how does that apply to you today? And then we're going to take one final question here. Here we have a person who wants to know how much of the Bible really applies to us. They point out that um, it appears that Jews are the author of the Bible, or at least all the human writers or authors were Jews. And therefore, does any of the Bible apply to us today? They point out that some teach that the only real part of the Bible that applies to us as Gentile believers today is are the epistles that Paul wrote. Here's the position that I take. I believe the whole Bible is the Word of God. I believe all 66 books of the Bible are the Word of God. And the Bible tells us we can use this as the basis for correction, as the basis for doctrine and correction. So I believe the whole Bible, all 66 books, are the Word of God. Now, I don't deny that the human writers were Jewish. Now, back when I was a teenager, when I first got saved, there was a little bit of disagreement about that. Uh, for a long time, people felt that Luke might have been the one gospel writer, the one Bible writer that was actually Gentile and not Jew. Now, of course, Bible scholars seem convinced that Luke was, in fact, Jewish, and therefore all the writers of the Bible are Jewish. But I don't really think in the overall scheme of things that really matters. The point is, God is the ultimate author of the Bible, and the Bible is written for all of us, not just the Jews. And I consider, for example, the Old Testament today to be just as much the Word of God as is the New Testament. Amen. It's all the Word of God. So I look at it from that perspective. And 
Frankly, I think the whole Bible was written to me. It might have been originally written primarily to the Jewish people, but I think in our day today, we can say that the whole Bible was written to us. That's my position. Okay. Well, uh, that's going to do it for the questions. Uh, if you have any Bible study questions or prayer requests that you want to send me, the best way to do that is by email. And I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Now, if you want to contact me by snail mail, the old-fashioned way, <laughs> with a letter and a stamp and everything, you can do that. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, that apartment number, 8510, that's very important that you include that in the address. Otherwise, I won't get it. And I will be glad uh, to hear from you. I especially want to hear from you if you've gotten saved as a result of this radio ministry or if your knowledge of the Word of God has grown as a result of this radio ministry. Amen. So uh, there you have it. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of another gospel broadcast here on Sunshine USA. I tell you, I love these get-togethers that we have. And by the way, you're the best advertising we have. If you enjoy listening to Sunshine USA, you know what you need to do? You need to call up your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and everybody else. And you tell them how you tune in to Sunshine USA on the Internet and how they can tune in as well. Because chances are, if you enjoy this broadcast, you know others that would enjoy a broadcast like this as well. Amen? Amen. Well, believe it or not, folks, that's going to bring us to the end of another broadcast. But don't fret not, <laughs> because guess what? I'm going to be with you next time on Sunshine USA. So until next time, you uh, continue reading God's Word, studying God's Word, and like I say, I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.